0: in heaven hallelujah oh hallelujah he's our defender before the father in the temple made by God not man behind a veil in a place more holy hallelujah oh hallelujah investigating he clears the records of those redeemed by his own blood he's plotting out my sin in the sanctuary for me in the sanctuary He's purifying heaven's temple Hallelujah Oh Hallelujah In preparation for His returning me mm-hmm. to it.
1: To the book of James for our scripture reading this morning, James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. All right, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome each one of you to the Marshfield 7th Adventist Church. We're so delighted that you're here. I want to thank everyone for your participation in the service thus far. Thank you, Gio, for that beautiful special music. That's the first time I think I've got to hear you sing a special music. That was beautiful. Uh, we're so glad that you guys are, are joining our church family here, so thank you so much for that. Uh, Steve, What what translation were you just reading from? Where did Steve go? I thought it must have been the NASB because I I, I took largely the, the sermon kind of from that, so I really like that translation. Thank you so much for reading, and thank you again everyone for your participation. Uh, let's go ahead and pray and we will get into our sermon. Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be here. Thank you for Lord, the lives that you give to us, and thank you for the many people that are here, and and Lord, we're here because we want to reflect you. We want to do your will, and Lord, we want to be an accurate reflection of Jesus in our sphere of influence, and dear God, we just pray that you come and be with us just now, um, that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you, as you promised in your word, and lead us, help us as we are going through uh, a different perspective, a different paradigm uh, that we find in your word when it comes to trials. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A paradigm shift. Paradigm shift is the title of the sermon. Uh, Paradigm has a few different nuanced definitions, I'll say. The way that we're looking at it today is uh, there's many factors in our paradigm. A paradigm is simply the way that we see something, uh, the the way where we grew up geographically, our culture, our background, our parents, our home. There's so many different factors that shape the way that we view life. Any given topic, any given thing. Um, so a shift occurs in our paradigm when we um, are presented with new information. We're presented with a new viewpoint and we adopt that new viewpoint, there's a shift that occurs in our paradigm or our perspective or the way that we view any given topic. Okay? Um, you're changing the way that you think or the way that you see uh, any given a, a subject or a topic. Um, you're changing the way that you view that thing. In James' epistle, he's writing to the people of the diaspora or the people of the dispersion. These are people, uh, he says he's writing to the 12 tribes who have been scattered abroad. So he's writing to people, they've been scattered, and they are scattered, they are or have been dispersed through means of persecution. They are where they are because of persecution. We know one of those persecutors very well. He wrote many books in the New Testament. His name was Saul at the time, Saul of Tarsus. He went about persecuting the Christian church. So James is writing to people who have been scattered abroad. They've been scattered by means of persecution. This was going on in the early Christian church where the Jewish uh, there was different branches of the Jewish Jewish sect that were persecuted in the Christian church. and James is writing to these people who have been scattered. And Paul himself admits to being a persecutor of the church. Uh, turn with me there in James chapter 1, if you're not there already. James chapter 1, and let's read together. So these people are where they are because of persecution, because they've left homes, they may have left families, they may have left land that was in their family for centuries. God only knows what they walked away from. Okay? They are where they are, wherever they are, because they were driven there to save their own lives. James chapter 1 verse 1 James a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad greetings verse 2 my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials these are people who are where they are because they've been dispersed They've been chased away from their homes. They've been chased away from their families. They may have forsaken land because of their belief in Jesus Christ. And James admonishes them, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. This word, to count, I like what uh, Steve said to us in the NASB. He says, to consider. He's appealing to our intellect because it wouldn't feel very good to have been chased away from your homes where you forsake and you have to leave your family and your houses and your lands. So he's saying, think about it as if it's a good thing because he knows you can't appeal to our feelings because you're not going to feel very good about it. Of course, no one feels good in that situation. So he's saying, think about it as being a good thing. Consider. It all joy. He's telling them to think about their circumstances in a different way than perhaps they had considered them at that point in time. And he says, "When you, I'm going to highlight this quickly, when you fall into various trials. Uh, there are many trials that we've gone through, that I have gone through, that were the result of my own poor decision-making. Sometimes we put ourselves in precarious situations because of bad decisions. So James is that we still call upon the Lord, and he bails us out time and time again. But he is talking about literally the outside circumstances that they find themselves in. He's saying when you fall into, when things happen to you outside of your own control, this just happened to you in life. You clearly didn't choose to be dispersed. It just happened to you. He's saying, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. Um, And so these are things that are happening to us that are beyond our control. Now, in all of my silly decision-making where I did the wrong thing and I knew better or I knew that maybe the Lord was convicting me otherwise, I still prayed for the Lord to bail me out, but he still allows for natural consequences to occur (laughs) So that we learn the lesson, right? He doesn't just bail us out of trouble every single time. Um, We find ourselves in the wrong place because we did the wrong thing. But we still call upon the Lord anyway, even in those circumstances. Various trials in the Greek is very broad. It can refer to, when he says various trials, it can refer to the external trials that they were facing or the internal enticements to sin that we all face on a daily basis. Okay, So these trials, they're coming from the outside. The devil is tempting us from the outside, and he's trying to pull on our heartstrings to get us to do things that are contrary to the word of God, to sin against God. Because when he can, we can cause us to sin against God, our sins separate us from God, and then we're much easier prey. Think about it like a wolf scattering sheep. If he can separate them from the shepherd, then he can attack them far more successfully. Consider, think about your circumstances as a good thing. This is a paradigm shift. This is not how we think about trials, right? Uh, We'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. Also, I want to highlight something the word he's using for joy is not an emotion. So he's not saying you should feel joyful about this. He's talking about this as more of a state of being rather than an emotion. One of my commentaries said it this way, and I think it encapsulated it perfectly from the Greek word. He said, joy, listen to this, joy may be defined as a settled contentment in every situation or an unnatural, deep reaction of steady, unadulterated, thankful trust in God. The joy that he is referring to is a state of being rather than an emotion. He's saying, in a sense, that we should exhibit, exhibit a deep, abiding sense of peace and trust in God through the trials. And the phrase that you're going to hear me repeat throughout this sermon is, trust God through Trial. That's what he's admonishing us to do. The joy is a state of being. We are to trust God through the trial. As we're going through walking with Jesus in our lives and things happen, he's admonishing us to trust God through that trial. This is a new paradigm, of course. This isn't what we want. In fact, our carnal nature recoils from trial. Listen to our prayers. Lord, help everything to go well. Lord, help everything to go smoothly. Whenever something does come up, we say, Lord, take this out of the way. There's an obstacle in my way. Take it out. We don't want anything to go awry. Our prayer life reflects our desire for everything to go Smoothly, No trials. No problems. Lord, help everything to go the right way. If we're experiencing discomfort, we want it to go away, right away. That's our carnal nature. That's what we want. But James is highlighting a totally different viewpoint in this perspective regarding trials and tribulations. One reason being this. Let's go on. Verse 3. He says, knowing, once again, there's another intellect word where he's pointing to our, our, our mind. He's not saying feel about it, feel good about it. He's saying, think about it, consider about it this way. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. Or, a better word, is mature and complete Lacking nothing, the goal of the trial that God is bringing us through, or walking with us through, is to produce a mature faith, a mature Christian. The things that we go through in this life are either causing us to depend on God more fully, or not. It's the same. It's that same uh, that old adage that the same sun that bakes the clay. Melts the wax. We can become even more bitter and discouraged because of the trials in our life. Or we can become more malleable where we're drawing closer to Jesus and we're experiencing a closer walk with Him. The goal of the trial is to drive us closer to Jesus. The testing of our faith. In order for our faith to be strengthened, it must first be tested. It doesn't get stronger. A muscle does not get stronger by just sitting still doing nothing at all. It must be worked in order to get stronger. Otherwise, it just atrophies and becomes useless. This testing that he's talking about is no different than an athlete who is training for a sporting event. They don't lie around eating pizza and potato chips until the day of the marathon And then say, well, here I go. They are testing their endurance every step of the way until they get to that point. Because they are trying to build and strengthen their body. Because they have a goal in mind. They know there's going to be pain. They know there is going to be um, obstacles. They know that they will have to stretch themselves. So they stretch themselves over and over again until they build the endurance that they need, the strength that they need to perform. And they know that the practice, the pain of the practice, is a necessary part of the goal that they have, right? They have a goal in mind. It's an event of some sort. And they're willing to endure the pain to get to that point. Mental determination is required. Understanding that the process will be stretching and painful. But it is a necessary part of the preparation process. Continuing on. He says, verse 4, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The goal is a mature faith. A mature and complete faith. A faith that is not easily swayed by circumstances. A faith that clings to God and isn't tossed about by every wind of doctrine. It's a mature faith that depends on God and His Word no matter what. Right? It's a mature faith that not even the the most difficult of circumstances will not break a person's faith or hold on God but there must be little tests along the way to see what we're made out of. That's another leads us into the next idea. This idea follows the same process or what he's outlining, this testing, this trial. It's the same process that they would use when they're purifying a precious metal. How is gold purified? By means of fire, right? And as it is heated... The impurities come out of it, and they rise to the top. I think of it as a, even as a welder with depending on what kind of metal you're welding, that extreme heat is purifying the metal and when you get done and you look back at the weld, there'll be often many times there'll be this little it's almost like a it's it 's an off color uh, i call it, i mean we would refer to it as like a puddle of impurities but it's like this. Off the weld looks nice and shiny, but on the top of it, there'll be this, sometimes depending on what kind it is, there'll be this scaly stuff. It'll be off color. It'll be brown. It won't look like the rest. It's because it was full of impurities, but that fire brought it out, okay? The fire purified the metal. It's the same idea that gold... The Bible tells us that our faith is much more precious than gold, which is tried in the fire. Our faith is tried in the same furnace of affliction, the same furnace that gold is purified in. Diamonds are another thing. Diamonds are formed approximately 90 to 125 miles under the earth's crust. They are formed by means of extreme pressure and extreme heat. Okay? All the precious things that we think about in this life go through some sort of purification process. And James is likening our faith to that, which is much more precious than gold, the Bible tells us. We can see these examples around us and apply it to our faith. James is encouraging his audience Not to embrace the trials for what they were, but for what God was accomplishing through the trial. Trust God through the trial of your life. Consider it to be a good thing because it's teaching you how to depend on Him. It's teaching you, uh, it's showing you who you are. That's my next part of this sermon. Trials show us who we are. And many times, in my experience, it's not a pretty picture. We'll get there in a minute. James encouraged them not to embrace their trials for what they were, but for what God could accomplish through them. God is utilizing the trials of this life to remove things that weaken our faith. The Bible tells us that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus embraced the cross. He endured it despising its shame because he was looking ahead at what was going to be accomplished through it. James is encouraging us to look at the trials, the things that we experience in this life in the same way. God is showing me something. God is teaching me to depend more on him. God is doing something through this that I don't understand and I just have to trust what he is doing. God can see things in our being and in our psyche that we are totally and completely unaware of. So he knows and allows certain things. It, it, it doesn't mean that everything is good or right or pleasant. There are certain things that are just a result of being, living in a sinful world, okay? But God can still bring about his glory in your life in, that circ- in those situations, There are some things that are just a result of sin. But God promises to walk with us even through those results of sin. When trials come, when inconveniences happen, when you are being pushed, pressed, even feeling crushed, what comes out of you? Is it the sweet spirit of Christ I'm so glad, Ezra. For the rest of us, that is not usually the case. Jesus was the same no matter where he was or what he was going through. Whether he was enjoying time with friends, whether he was walking on a lake in a storm, or whether he was dying on a cross, he was praying for his persecutors. He was the same no matter where he was. You can think of any sort of flower on this planet. When it is crushed, what comes out of it? If it's a good smelling, sweet smelling flower, that fragrance is what comes out, right? Sometimes when we get crushed, is it the sweet fragrance of Jesus that people experience around us? Or is it something else? Is it our anger? Is it our fear? Is it our anxiety that comes out? I don't know about you, but I have been through many trials in my life in which the only thing that I, I realized after so many years of this, the only thing that was coming out of me was dross, the impurities. And after a while, I began to realize that God, through these trials that I've experienced in my life, God was showing me who I was, which is why I had to go through Many different trials in my life. God was showing me who I was. He was showing me the, the, the impurities of my character. And after I realized that, and I began to go running to him for help, instead of, Lord, just take this away. Just make this get out of my way. Just stop this. Just, Lord, as quickly as this thing came, make it go away. It's in my way. If that wasn't, I had the normal carnal response where it's like, well, if that wasn't happening, then I wouldn't be acting like this. It was always something or someone else's fault, right? It wasn't mine. That's the way that I saw. But the trial was showing me who I was. God was trying to show me into into my psyche who I was that I was totally unaware of. That's what the trials, what God is trying to show us and accomplish through the trials so that when we see who we are, we can go running to him for help and say, Lord, this is not who I want to be. Lord, I need your help to overcome this thing. I had to plead with God the purpose of the trials to show us what we are made of, who we are representing, who we are reflecting. Then... When I realized that I was not reflecting Jesus, I could go run to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't like who I am right now. Help me to overcome. Help me to reflect your character no matter what my circumstances are. That's what I had to pray for. Continuing on to verse 5, he says, If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I always thought this verse was really disjointed. It didn't make any sense to me. And we use it broadly. We say, well, the Lord says if you pray for wisdom, he'll give you wisdom. I think it can be used broadly. But there is a context here where he's presenting a new paradigm. He's presenting a new idea that trials are a good thing. And so what he's saying is, if you don't understand it, then go to God and he will give you the wisdom that you need to be able to see it the way that he wants you to see it. Okay? So if you don't understand Ask God for wisdom, and he will give you the wisdom that you need. I believe it can be used broadly as well. But it does have a context here, and we need to apply it in its context. And he's saying, if you don't see trials as a good thing, if it's a hard concept for you, if you don't see it as trying to draw you closer to God, pray to God for the wisdom, and he will help you to understand. That's in its context trust God through the trial is what James is admonishing us to do. God knows what we need. We don't. If I were to get everything that I ever wanted, that I ever prayed for, that I ever just, God, take this out of the way, give me a smooth path, makes everything go right the way that I want it to go, what would happen to us on the other end of our lives? We would be perfect narcissists on the other side. Because nothing ever challenged us, nothing ever humbled us, nothing ever did anything. Okay? We always got what we wanted. Think about a petulant child. We're seeing a generation that was, you know, got everything they wanted. Uh, you can watch adults today, young adults, throw tantrums in stores. Because they were never told not to do that. They were never challenged. If we always get what we want, that's what happens. We become perfect narcissists on the other side. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we're surrendering our lives to His leadership, to His guidance, to Him uh, correcting us. The Bible is there to correct bad behavior, our, our carnal behavior. And we run to Him for help to overcome those things. God is showing us That is a a wonderful thing that trials come and God shows us who we are and how we are out of harmony with Him. If He didn't care about us, He would just let us go, just like the story. You think He just, oh yeah, just let the cow go. Who cares? God, the Bible tells, there's a poem out there that calls God the hound of heaven. He will stop at nothing in His searching for us. In his pursuit of us. And that includes showing us who we are so that we can turn to him for help. So that we're depending on him and not on ourselves. He, if he didn't care, he wouldn't show us at all. And we would just think we were right right up until the time Jesus came and we'll be lost. I praise God that Jesus doesn't do that. I praise God that he continues pursuing, and it's not in a way that we always think. We always want him to be this this powerful ruler that just wipes everything out of our way. And sometimes he's the one allowing the trial to show us who we are and to cause us to depend on him more fully. It's a paradigm shift. It's a different way of looking at trials than most of us, including myself, Look at them. The goal and the design of the trial is to draw us closer to God because we're running to Him in prayer throughout the trial. We're experiencing His joy and His peaceful trust in Him throughout the trial as a result. We become more like Jesus through it, or we become more bitter, more angry, more resentful, more hateful. We choose how we're going to respond, In the midst of the trial, we choose how we're going to respond, what direction we're going to take. The trial is making us a mature Christian, fit for heaven. That is the design. Which brings us to our next part of our our sermon. We are enduring the trial for a reason. We have a goal, just like an athlete has a goal. He is fitting us for heaven. That's the goal. Go down to verse 12. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's the goal. The goal is a mature faith, a mature Christian that is fit for heaven. God is preparing us for that heavenly society. And if I think of how selfish I look when every time I say, Lord, this is an inconvenience, get rid of it. Heaven is a selfless place, okay? The goal is to root out that selfishness. I used to pray that prayer all the time. Lord, help me not to be so selfish. And then, boy, every time I had the opportunity, I was really selfish. And I didn't realize it. These are the things that God is trying to show us through the trial, showing us how selfish we are. And he says, Blessed is the man who endures. This is the goal. This is the promise for the Christian. This is the promise uh, that God has been reminding his people of since the fall. He says, I have a place. I'm preparing it for you. All those who want to be in my kingdom, they can be. But there is a process. And he is testing us and testing our faith to show us where, who, and what we are in the midst of the trial. It's showing us our impurities, our imperfections. And then we run to Jesus to help us. Because I can't do anything about it. What can I do? Try really hard? What's that going to do? We need Jesus to do the work in us. The Bible tells us that it is God who works in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And the Bible tells us that the work he has begun in us, he will complete it. I'm depending on him for that. But I have to go running to him to help me through that process and not just, Lord, do everything the way that I want you to do it. Then I'm the God in the situation, not him. I'm dictating how things should go. I'm not trusting him with my life. I am saying, I am in charge of my life, and I want you to do what I want you to do. I am the God in that circumstance. And it's not going to end well for me if that's how I live out my days. My life has to be surrendered to Jesus and His leading and what He is doing in my life. And sometimes it's not what I think it should be. Sometimes it's coming through a way that I think it's the wrong way. We have to trust God through the trial of our faith. I'll tell you a story. On October 7th, 2012... I made a promise to my bride that I was going to stay with her. I was, whether we were in sickness, whether it was, we were healthy, whether we were rich, whether we were poor, it didn't matter what was going to happen. I was never going to leave her. And it was a beautiful fall day. It's early October in Michigan. The leaves are not quite peak at that time, central Michigan. Beautiful of all day. We got a lot of beautiful pictures that day. And we uh, moved into our first house two months later in December. It was on the Pine River in Michigan, Central Michigan, Midland, Michigan. I was a second shift supervisor at a welding facility in Midland, Michigan, not far away. And life was great. When you first get married, you're just on cloud nine, you know, like it's the honeymoon, they call it the honeymoon phase for a reason, you know, it's just everything's wonderful, what could ever go wrong, what could ever happen, I mean, it's just the, the naivety of it all, uh, it was wonderful, a few months later, I had been elected to serve, asked to serve on my first nominating committee, this was in March and uh, so I'm at the meeting, and I get this text from Emily. She says, you know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's wrong, but my, my heart is racing, and I, I, it's been racing for like 45 minutes, and I don't know what to do. And so I'm like, well, this meeting's almost over. I'll come get you, and we'll go see what's going on. So it just continued being elevated through all that time. And we went to the doctor. We went to the ER, and they said, we don't know what's causing your heart rate to raise. They were able to give her medication to bring it down. Um, They said, we don't know what's going on, but, you know, we can give you medication. We didn't get any real answers that night as to why. We did find out that Jada was on her way, so that was a surprise, like, oh, we didn't know that. Um, And so, anyway, they told her, you know, it had been going on for two to three hours at this point. They told her, they said, you know, you haven't been, she had been hiking that afternoon, but not extreme 140, 150 beats per minute exercise. She's like, they told her, um, you know, you haven't been working out to this level, but you're going to feel like you ran a marathon tomorrow, like you're going to feel just dead after three hours of adrenaline just pumping through your body. And she did. She went from being a normal, healthy 24-year-old woman that Sunday, walking, hiking in the woods that Sunday, to being bedridden the next day and needing to be carried to the bathroom even. She couldn't hardly move, couldn't hardly walk. And um, this, this bedridden behavior continued all the way through pregnancy and even, you know, subsequently months beyond. Like the, not the bedridden stuff, but the health just continued to decline. So our excitement about Jada coming was co- totally eclipsed by what is going on. Why is her health so bad? She can't do anything. She can't, she can't even hardly get to the bathroom. Um, her health only declined. After three years of ER visits and doctor appointments and specialist appointments and everything under the sun, we finally got a diagnosis of, uh, it's an acronym, it's called POTS. It's called Posterior Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. So what has happened is her autonomic system went haywire. And so all the things that we take for granted, all the auto things, the autonomic things, the auto, automatic things in our body that we take for granted, like heart rate regulation, respiration, digestion, blood pressure regulation, all those things were just totally wonky. And so this, was, this went on for years. It affected so many different things. Um, uh, her, she lost, you know, her ability to sing ended right there. She was in the middle of working on her first CD, and that all went, she could not breathe properly anymore. And so that ended right there. There were so many things. Um, and there were many times over the course of these many years, I cried out, like, Lord, please make this thing go away. As quickly as it came into our lives, make it go away. Pleading with God on my knees, Lord, help us. And, and probably many times just saying, like, why? Lord, why? Why? Why did this have to happen right now? We're just barely started in life, and now we're going backward because medical bills are just pouring in. Um, the stress level for me was just unbelievable. I was working 12 hours a day. I was working six to six. My wife can't do anything at home, so everything, that I, everything that's going on at home, I'm doing that as well. So house, yard work, everything, wood, you, you name it, I was doing it. There were long days. There were painful, and this is not something that happened over a few weeks. This wasn't like, whew, that was a rough three weeks of my life. This was years and years and years. As a matter of fact, Emily did not sing in a church in public for nine years. That's how long we have been dealing with this thing. Um, but by the grace of God, you know, and it was... As I'm praying, Lord, make it go away. Lord, why me? Lord, what's, you know, the stress for me, all the dross was coming out. All the true colors. All who I actually was. And I was angry. I'm like, well, if my circumstances were better, then I wouldn't be acting like this. I was making all those excuses. Like, God, you know, it was it was a crazy time. If my in-laws hadn't been decently close to us, I don't know... Mentally, if I would have made it through all that time. But me demanding God to make this situation go away, make it better. Who was the God in the situation? It was me, right? I was revealing how selfish I was. Like, Lord, this shouldn't be happening to me. When we say, why me? What I'm saying indirectly is, Lord, I'm better than this. I don't deserve this. I deserve better than this. So you should be doing better. Right? That's what I'm saying. It's revealing how selfish I am. Why me? Make it go away. It's show, I'm showing God. I'm showing, I should be showing myself. God already knows how selfish I am. That's why he's allowing me to go through this. It's Like, you're a really selfish person. And um, it was a very stressful time. Emily has her own story, her own perspective. She lost her health, her singing career, everything that she held dear in a moment. And the woman that I once knew, the woman that I married a few months before, became a shell of who she was. She was not the same person, mentally, physically, emotionally, nothing. When that happens, it's very traumatic when you just have the rug pulled out from underneath of you in a, in a moment. I was very angry. I was frustrated. I resented God. I did not handle this situation well. I resented God. I resented her. I was working so much, and her health just remained poor for very very many years. And I prayed, God, help me. And God did. Somewhere in the middle of all this time frame, the Lord was able to help me see who I was, and my prayers changed. Like, Lord, help me to grow in this. Help me not to be like, help me to be like Jesus no matter what my circumstances are. Help me to reflect Jesus no matter what my circumstances are. Good, bad, indifferent. Help me, dear God. So my prayers changed. And God began to work. And I can look back now and see that I'm a very different person than I was when that all happened 11 10 11 years ago now. God has through the trial, God has brought us to this place. We're both very different people. Turn with me in your Bibles in closing over a few pages to James chapter 5. Same book, same author, same story, same mindset. James chapter 5. I want to read this in closing. James 5, 7, and I'll stop reading somewhere around verse 12. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. He is wanting those people to keep the coming of Jesus ever in front of their mind. That's the goal. That's where we're going. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet for a reason. His life was not one of just perfect, uh, joyful, straight path, yellow brick road life. He had a very difficult life. The prophet Isaiah's last memory is being shoved into a hollowed out log and then being sawn in half. Take the prophets as an example of patience and endurance, trusting God through the trial, both of those men knew that death was not the end. My God is going to resurrect me. And I think, I believe this, I don't know if it's true or not, but I believe that when the wicked king Manasseh, who put Isaiah to death, saw him and how he went through that trial, that that contributed to his repentance at the end of his life. I have to, I mean, I, have, I believe that, that seeing, that's the thing is our trials are not always about us. We are on display. There's other people that we might be able to point to Jesus in subsequent years, oh yeah, I've been through that, and let me tell you about how Jesus got me through that. Okay, Our trials are not always about us. And that's, again, how selfish we are. We think, why me? Why, why, why? God is is looking, He is testing our strength, our hold on Him. And when we see how weak it is, then we can turn to Him for help. When we see all the draws coming out, then we can turn to Him for help. That's why trials are a good thing. They show us who we are. Continuing on. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an exempling of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed. Verse 11. Who endure... You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. We'll end there. You have seen and heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. I believe that Job's story is almost like a microcosm of our lives here on this earth, how miserable they can be, and the restoration of what God is going to do in heaven. We have seen the end. He said, I'll put it this way, beloved, in order to receive the end of Job's story, Job received what? Double on the end of his life, right? Everything he had before, God restored it to him twice over because of his perseverance, because he would not curse God and die because he was not going to let go of God, his hold on God. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Yeah, he, regressed, he regretted ever being alive. Those are human emotions that Jesus can handle. We just need to take them to him. Okay, Jesus can handle our emotions in the trial. Take them to him and trust him through the trial. But in order to receive the end of Job's story, we must be able to say in the trial... Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We must also be able to say with Job in 13.15, Even though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. We see the perseverance of Job. We see the trial of his faith did not break his hold on God. It showed him and it showed God that trust God through the trial, embrace the trial. And when we do, we will be able to say on the other side with Job, he said this in Job 42, five. He said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye has seen you. When we trust God, when we turn to God, when we pour out our soul to him through the trial, that is when he saw God. It was through the trial. The three Hebrew worthies saw Jesus in the fire. It wasn't in their happy everyday life in the palace. It was in the trial that Jesus was closest to them. Job experienced that same thing. Job said on the other end, he says, I had heard of you before. I had heard of you before, but now my eye has seen you. Trust God through the trial. I don't know about you, but there's nothing for me more important in this life than to see God, to know God. There's What else? What else is there? Jesus said, In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This comes about in a way that everything in our carnal nature recoils from. That's why it's important to pray every day, Lord, let your will be accomplished in my life. Not mine, yours. I am trusting you with my life. He knows what we need, and He will sustain us. I don't know what you may be going through today, but along with James, I'm inviting you to embrace the trial. Trust God through the trial, that He is working out His will in your life, refining and maturing your faith, and ultimately preparing us for heaven. He is the hound of heaven, and He will stop at nothing in His pursuit of you. Will you trust Him today? In closing, for our closing hymn today, Emily is going to sing. This is a song that we always, it's a popular song. It's a song that we thought was popular, or a powerful song before. And now it means so much more today. I, so I'll let her sing, and then we will close with prayer.
2: Can you hear me? Okay. If you know the song, go ahead and feel free to sing along with me. Suffering and all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessing comes through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleeps?
1: Pray together. Kind Father in heaven, Lord, our, our selfishness runs so deep sometimes we, we don't know what we need. That's why we surrender our lives to you every day for you to work out your will in us. Lord, help us to trust you through the trials of this life. Help us to give us the wisdom to see and to depend on you. Lord, please don't give up on us. Continue to fit us for heaven. As we cling to you, we know that you will. You said that whoever comes to you, you will by no means cast out. We're depending on your promises. We're depending on your grace. We're depending on you to do the work in us that we cannot do. Thank you so much for your mercy toward us. Help us to reflect you no matter what our circumstances are. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Please bless this food that we're about to receive and bless the many hands that worked to prepare it. In Jesus' name, amen.